Canuck Central in the Kintec studio. Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. Kintec Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintec.net. This hour of Canuck Central is brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment, keeping you at the top of your game. Now found together online at DLEAMC.com. Three games in the Stanley Cup playoffs tonight. Lightning, Leafs, Rangers, Devils, Jets, Golden Knights. And we're going to check in now on the Rangers and Devils here with our next guest on the program. Covering the New York Rangers at USA Today Sports, it is Vince Mercoliano. Thanks for this, Vince. How are you? Good. How's it going? Uh, we're doing fantastic. It's uh, It's been an interesting day. We've kind of talked about how, you know, here in Vancouver, not a playoff team, as you know, Vancouver Canucks, but um, and it's been a while, but uh, we've kind of talked a little bit about how some of these other teams have been built. And the Rangers, you know, always a, a big topic because of the thought of the letter and what's happened since, you know, the uh, we're going to take a step back letter. It didn't really take all that long to build – this playoff team and now probably the best iteration at least talent wise of what we've seen of the New York Rangers yeah oh for sure I think talent wise that's pretty undeniable when you consider not only everybody that they assembled during those draft years when they were kind of going leaner and they had the number one overall pick in Alexi Lafreniere and Capo Caco at number two the year before and various other first round picks but then you factor in adding Artemi Panarin in free agency, adding Patrick Kane and Vladimir Tarasenko at the trade deadline this year. I mean, the talent level on this team is through the roof. So, yeah, absolutely. The rebuild went, I think, probably faster than maybe even some people in the organization anticipated. They got some luck along the way with the lottery balls falling their way and that sort of a thing. But, uh, yeah, they believe that their time is now, and they've tried to speed up that process, as you can see with some of the additions that they've made. Well, and in terms of, you know, a lesson to learn about them sending that letter out, uh, you know, back in 2017 and uh, 2018 now, I guess it was. So it is some years back. But also, also as much as they were willing to take that step back and, and talk about that letter, it was still one of those things where there wasn't a lot of patience for continued losing or not becoming a contender fast enough. So what does that say about not only just the appetite for, for teams to go through extended losing, but also especially in New York, how hard it is to take that step back, but also the payoff has to come pretty quickly. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think the, at first there wasn't necessarily a hard timetable on it. You know, you had to kind of see how it went, but the strategy, I think from the beginning, was pretty sound and you've seen other teams try to do it as well but basically they looked at their roster at the time that they sent out that letter in 2018 and decided which players are going to be around and which players do we not think will be able to see it through to the other side of this rebuild and the ones that they didn't think would stick around they made sure that they made trades to to deal those assets and get as much as they could in return they basically wanted to stockpile as many draft picks and prospects and as much young talent as they could get their hands on and then see how it played out. Again, I think what sped it up was in part that they got kind of lucky with where some of those draft picks landed and they were able to get some really high caliber players that they took very close to the top of the draft or in Lafreniere's case at the top of the draft. But then they also had situations where in free agency, it became clear to them in 2019, which 
was only about a year and a half after they had sent that letter that Artemi Panarin really wanted to be a Ranger and was willing to even take a little bit less money to be a Ranger. So I know they had some internal debates about that. Was it the right timing to bring in a player of that caliber? And they decided that it was the kind of opportunity that they couldn't pass up. So that certainly sped up the process. That was the same summer that they made the trade for Jacob Truba. That was the same summer that they made the trade for Adam Fox, who they were able to net for just a couple second-round picks because that was another guy who made it clear that New York was his preference and where he wanted to go. So they had kind of this perfect storm of you know, getting some draft picks in some really good spots, of getting some really good players who kind of forced their way here or, or made it clear that this is where they wanted to be. And then they found themselves looking at a roster where Mika Zibanejad was emerging as a really top center, and they had these other pieces falling into place as well. And now they have the look of a real contending team. But I think it took a variety of factors. Like, I don't know if any team can just duplicate that. I think, that, again, the strategy of stockpiling assets was a sound strategy, but a lot of things fell into place for them, too, along the way. Well, yeah, and even you, you look at the draft, and you would expect guys like Lafreniere and Kako selected one and two overall, respectively. Like, those are the sure things, but they haven't hit with the uh, to the level you would expect a player's drafted that high of hit. And probably the best player they've taken in the draft in, in this era through this uh, sort of rebuild thing is, is Keandre Miller, who's just turned out to be an absolute stud and is going to get paid pretty well this summer. Yeah, I mean, I would think he, out of those draft picks that came out of the rebuild era, he is the most important player for them right now. He's a top-four defenseman, definitely lodged more minutes than any of those guys, can play in all situations. He's an absolute freak when you look at the talent level, the, the size, the skating, the reach, the skill. So, yeah, he's got everything, in there, and they love the way that he's developing. I mean, I would throw Philip Heedle into that conversation as well. This is a guy who has a third-line center had over 20 goals for them this season. They just gave him a contract extension. He plays with a lot of speed, a really dynamic young player. And the other thing that you have to look at is because of what they have in the top six with Panarin and Zabanajad and Kreider and Kane and Tarasenko, they don't really need those guys to play big minutes. You know, the, the Heatles and the Cacos and the Lafreniers. Those are third-line players for them. Those guys, they, None of them play on their top power play unit. So I think the opportunity for them to really blossom as far as point production is concerned hasn't necessarily been there. I think if you look at what those guys play minutes-wise compared to some other recent top draft picks, they're playing more like 13, 14 minutes a night, whereas you can look at a guy right here in New Jersey like Jack Hughes who was playing you know, 18 or 19 minutes around the same point in his career. So – I think there's some varying factors there, but yeah, I would agree with you that Miller is probably the most impactful guy for them right now out of that group. Well, and out of the, those wingers they took high, I mean, Capo Caco and Alexis Lafreniere, and, you know, I thought Capo Caco this season, I mean, uh, you know, he had his best season production-wise, he had 40 points, he had 18 goals, and it seems like in the postseason here, not only has he been getting a little bit of ice time, he's had a couple, uh, you know, he's had a couple points so far, how is he coming along, and, and, and is his game, because of his size, his ability, his speed, is it starting to show that that can't pay dividends in the postseason? Yeah, you know, I think some of the most impressive things for him that I've seen so far don't necessarily show up on the stat sheet. He's a really good possession player. I think if you ask people around the Rangers, as far as guys that can fight through traffic and control the puck in the offensive zone, especially down around the net, and sort of, you know, keep possession without losing it and find open guys and, and extend possessions that way, 
He's really, really good in that aspect of the game. He's also become a much better defensive player. As a rookie, he was really out of place defensively, and you could just tell that he had never been asked to do a lot of those things, but he's really shown significant growth on that end of the ice to the point where even now, this year, he's one of the guys, not one of the go-to guys, but he's a forward that they use on the penalty kill, which is a, a huge improvement for him. So I think he's rounding out a lot of these other areas of the game. And and you saw the points take a little bit of a jump this year. You mentioned he got to 40. But I think there's a lot more in the tank there. I think he's got a really good shot that he probably hesitates to use a little bit too much. I know the coaching staff is always harping on that with him. They'd like to see him get more aggressive with that shot. But I think it will come in time. You have to remember he just turned 22 years old. He's still very young, and he's still playing a third-line role for them. I think next year, looking ahead – it's going to be very difficult for the Rangers with their salary cap situation to bring back Tarasenko and Kane. So that will make Kako rise potentially to the number one spot on their right wing depth chart. And I think with that kind of opportunity, you might see those points jump even more. So uh, Rangers went up 2-0 in the series, uh, winning both games in New Jersey. And I think everybody, including myself, are like, all right, uh, Devils are getting their welcome to the playoffs moment. Then they go and win two at MSG. What happened? Yeah, you know, it's a combination of factors. It, it really is kind of interesting because I think to begin the series, everybody expected it to be a wide open track meet kind of a series where there was going to be a lot of goal scoring, maybe not a whole lot of defense, although you did expect with Igor Shesterkin, the Rangers would probably, you know, get some good goaltending. But it, it's the really the last two games have, have been much different than that. You've seen low scoring affairs, not a whole lot of quality scoring chances for either side. And I think in part, you have to give some credit to the devils. I think they really made some key adjustments after those first two games. They have been, in my opinion, much more aggressive and been doing a much better job of pressuring with their four check. I think they've made it difficult for the Rangers, whether it's breaking out of their own zone or coming through the neutral zone to get clean entries into the offensive zone. So I think that's been a big improvement for the devils. Their penalty kill has really tightened up in the last couple games. We saw in games one and games two that Chris Kreider was basically having his way at the net front. He scored four power play goals in those two games. And I think the Devils have done a good job of taking that away from them and clogging up passing lanes and not letting them get pucks through cleanly to give Kreider the opportunity for those tips and deflections that you know that he likes to hunt for. So I just think the Devils have really showed that they're probably a better defensive team than maybe we gave them credit for coming into this series. But I also think there's an element of the Rangers offense going into a little bit of a slump right now. We know, and a lot of the chatter in the last couple of days has been about their top two scorers during the regular season, Panarin and Zibanejad. Neither one of those guys have a goal so far in this series. So I think everybody would have been surprised if you said that those two guys would go four games without either one of them scoring a goal. So the Rangers certainly feel like there's more that they should be doing to generate offense. But again, I think it's kind of a combination. The Rangers are slumping a little bit, maybe getting a little too tight maybe getting into some bad habits offensively, but I also think the Devils have made things more difficult on them than they did in the first two games. And that might go to what you're talking about with jitters and stuff like that. Maybe the Devils just needed to kind of get that out of their system and get a little more used to playing on this stage. Well, and, you know, I'm a big fan of this Rangers team this season, and I think because of the way they're built and the size they have, the speed and the depth, like – 
they can go up against anybody, and they have, especially with their goaltending, there's nobody really that I don't think they can't beat if, if they find their game. And, and how much that really relies on the tone set by Adam Fox with how he carries play. I mean, for a guy who's 24 years old, I know he's not the captain, that's Jacob Truba, and you know he doesn't have the panache of a Zibanejad and a Panarin, but when it comes to being the engine of that team, how integral is he to so, so many different facets for that club? Yeah, I mean, to me, Fox is in the argument for one of, if not the most important skater. I would definitely say that Igor Shosturkin is their most important player. But I think their two most valuable skaters this season were Zabanajad because of how great of a two-way player he is, and he had over 90 points, and Fox. I mean, Fox, to me, is in the Norris Trophy conversation. He was on my ballot uh, for that award this year. He's just a guy who offensively is as gifted as they come for a defenseman. He's not much of a shooter. I think that's something he'll try to add into his game more and more as his career evolves. But his passing ability, his vision, his decision-making is, is really second to none in the NHL as far as defensemen are concerned. But defensively, he is so underrated in that area. He's not very physical. He's not going to hit you very often or, or do those sorts of things. But the way that he anticipates, the way that he's able to pick guys' pockets, he really is a takeaway machine in a lot of situations, and he's very positionally sound, incredibly smart guy. I know that's kind of cliche to say about a guy who went to Harvard, but he really is. He thinks on the ice, and he always seems to be in the right spot and make the right decisions. So he's become a really trusted defensive player. If you look at a lot of the analytics and a lot of the metrics that are out there, he rates as one of their best defensive players every year. And they use him in all situations. Penalty kill, obviously he's the point man on the power play. So he does everything for them. He leads them in average time on ice per game by a wide margin. So he really is a do-it-all guy for them. And certainly, I would say, one of their three most valuable players, him, Shesterkin, and Zavanajad. How has the fit been with Patrick Kane and Vlad Tarasenko? The fit with those guys? It's been – I think Tarasenko has been a guy who – he's had a little more time here as well. I think – he is a, a really good fit for them because he gives them a guy who looks to shoot the puck. They've got a lot of pass-first kind of guys on this team. So I think Tarasenko gives them more of a finisher. But one of the things just from watching him and from talking to the guys in the locker room that they've been impressed with is the guy weighs like 230 pounds, and he's, he's really fit. I didn't know that about him until I met him in person. But the way that he's able to get into the high-traffic areas, he's not afraid to go into a corner – you can see defensemen try to get physical with him, and he kind of bounces them off of him. So I didn't really know that he had that in his game as much, you know, watching sporadically from afar as, as much as I've noticed since I've been able to watch him every day. So I think he's been a good fit for them. And you saw each of the first two games in this series that they won, he opened both games by scoring a goal. So definitely seems to have a little bit of that clutch playoff gene in him as well. With Kane, I don't think it ever really clicked super well during the regular season with him, but the reality is he wasn't brought here for the regular season. We know they were trying to be careful with that hip injury, and they gave him a couple days off toward the end of the season. He was bounced around with a couple different lines, never really settled into one spot, but he's got six points so far in this series. He's been one of their most consistent offensive producers. The, the game that really stands out is game two here in Jersey when he had that goal and a couple of assists that he set up Kreider at the net front. So if he can produce some moments like that, if he can be a guy that comes through for them in some big spots in the playoffs, 
the Rangers will be thrilled with that. That's why they went and got him. You know, what he did in those 20 games that he had with them in the regular season really doesn't matter. He was brought here because of his playoff experience and because he made it clear that he wanted to be here. And now the Rangers are hoping that he'll be a guy who comes through, comes through for them in some key situations here. Vince, really appreciate your time. Enjoy the game tonight. All right, guys. Thanks. Uh, there is uh, Vince Medicoliano of uh, the USA Today covering the New York Rangers side of things. That game, a big one tonight. No home team has won so far in this series. We'll see if the uh, Devils can change that equation, Sat. Yeah, I mean, I, I picked the Rangers to win this series. I certainly hope uh, the Devils don't figure it out tonight. But, <laughs> you know, uh, we'll, we'll see how it goes. But, I mean I, I mean, I just look at that Rangers team, and we didn't ask about Gerard Gallant. That's kind of maybe one question about them. I actually think Galan in the postseason, with how he gets guys going, I think he, he really fits in. In the regular season, some of the things he does, I guess, like, it doesn't quite fit in. But, you know, this is a huge series for him, too, and as far as their coaching philosophy goes. It is. And, you know, look, the the Devils are a really good five-on-five team. Like, mm-hmm. they're, they're hard to beat because they're so fast. They can control possession so well. And they've got a lot of players that can just cut you open um, – on defense because of the way that they play. And I don't even think we've seen the best of, of Timo Meyer yet in this series, but it's been really interesting and, and two sort of heavyweights going up against each other and not nobody really giving an inch, but I do think the Rangers have more to offer than what we saw in games three and four should be a good one tonight. And you heard there from Vince, you know, sort of how the Rangers went about it. You know, at first it was about collecting as many assets. Who are we keeping? Who are we not? And then using those assets to go out and really add to this roster. At the same time, like, does this Rangers team turn it around as quickly as they do if they don't end up with Artemi Panarin and Adam Fox landing in their lap? Probably not. No, and the thing is, luck is so important in every equation here. Yeah. You know, like whether it's, hey, somebody really wanted to be there, you getting a diamond in the rough, you getting draft lottery luck, all of that plays a factor in it. The only way you can kind of help yourself is to create more avenues of you getting lucky. And how do you do that? Having some more draft picks, having more assets, right? Having some more cap space. And if you have more things available to you, guess what? Your chances of getting lucky increase. It doesn't mean it's going to happen, but it means you have some more chances to get lucky. You got to create your own luck. Yeah. <laughs> It's a, it's a cliche. It's true. It's like, yeah, get yeah. to the net. You're not going to score goals unless you get to the net. <laughs> uh, and we see that in the playoffs all the time, no doubt. Uh, I think in, in going through this process and sort of talking about it throughout the course of the show, what has the theme essentially been? There's no one way to build a hockey team. You can't – what was the old saying from Brian Burke? I, how do you want me to follow the Pittsburgh model? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's it's impossible to follow. There's no such thing as following the Pittsburgh model. Like you can't just like, oh, you should do the New York model or, oh, you should you know, follow what the Maple Leafs do. Oh, you do it what the Devils did. I mean, there's different ways that all of these teams did it. You can find common themes throughout each of their retools, rebuilds, whatever word you'd use to to call how they went about this. But you can't just completely copycat one way of building a hockey team. No, and, and and that's just the reality, right? And every team creates a different situation. And like Harm mentioned when we had him on earlier, 
every team has to follow a slightly different path because of their circumstances, right? And the reason why it's been such a conundrum in Vancouver is because you have this incredible talent with the guys we mentioned, Patterson Hughes and, and Demko, namely, that's kind of wrapped up in, in a lot of baggage and a lot of you know bad contracts that have to get weeded out, right? And it's like, well, you don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater, right? And, and that's kind of what it's at here. And that's where it gets frustrating because there's so many ways you can go about this. There's no real easy way out of this. And some luck is needed. But more than anything, I think competency in making hockey trades and making pro decisions is such an integral part about this. Sure, amateur scouting is important too and, and prospects, but a lot of it comes down to a guy who hasn't had an opportunity yet coming here, but he's played at the AHL level, played a few games in the NHL, or it's a guy who needs a different role, needs a different um, type of opportunity. You get him at the right age range. And that type of pro, ident- you know, being able to identify players on the young scale of being pro, that is such a huge part of it. Um, there's uh, one player I did want to mention on the on the New Jersey Devils um, because I was looking through and uh, Daily Faceoff had an article today about the top RFAs that are in the playoffs right now and uh, there's Evan Bouchard and uh, Bowen Byram, even Keandre Miller, and then one player I almost forgot about, not necessarily forgot about, but had to be reminded that they were an RFA this summer, and it's Jasper Bratt, who. Like, there's been a lot of weird things around Brat and his future with the New Jersey Devils, and maybe he just ends up signing uh, a new contract in New Jersey. But they also just brought in Timo Meyer, who's set to get an absolute payday. You don't mm-hmm. give up the assets you did to trade for Timo Meyer and not give him the contract that he's expecting in the summer, even if it hasn't really worked out in the way that you wanted it to. I do wonder about a player of Jasper Bratt's quality and his availability. Now, it's obviously a very uh, strange person to sort of circle for the Vancouver Canucks because I don't know how in the heck it would actually be able to work. But the Devils and Canucks have been connected on more than a few occasions and Bratt due for a new contract. Um, I kind of wonder about a player like Jasper Bratt. From a personal perspective, it's a guy that I would love to bring to my hockey team if I was just looking at it that way. Yeah, I mean, I think the only feasible way I see it happening is is one of, like, two avenues. One being, you know, the obvious one. Is he going to get paid more than JT Miller, and is JT a better fit for them? Because he can also play center and give them a bit more added depth and more versatility to that roster. So I think, you know, you can look at it from that perspective, perhaps. But what it doesn't solve your center issue. You get Jesper Brad, he goes on the wing. If you move JT, all of a sudden now you're two centers short that you have to replace. And the assets you're getting for JT are not allowing you to get a center. So the other way of getting him would be, do you clear space and get assets via other moves that allow you to go and get that player, which would follow the MO of the moves these guys have made, right? It's like, hey, we're looking to clear space. We're looking to... Uh, um, get a couple assets back in return and we're using that to go and get say Philip Hironic or in other cases Ethan Bear, Travis Dermott as we can outline in the past. I just see that being difficult to do because of the level of pro- the talent you have to acquire to go and get a guy like Brad. Like what would the ask be oh, from uh, New Jersey? If it's if you're not getting a, a ready-made player, what's the ask? I would have to think it's a pretty significant ask. Um and then you have to give him the contract too. He's yeah. probably do a raise of Probably upwards of seven to eight million dollars in that range yeah. as a winger. Yeah, I mean, like, hey, if you can make a trade involving, 
let's say you get a couple seconds and with Brock Besser, but that doesn't look exciting, right? Yeah. Like if I clear Besser's salary, sure, let's go pay Jesper Brad, for instance. But I just don't know how it's going to happen. If you have assets to go and get a player, are you getting us a, a, a another winger or are you going after a defenseman? Yeah, I just I see it hard. It being a hard player for Vancouver to add. I just really like the player. I know you're hopeful. <laughs> you're wishing. I just really like the player, uh, Jasper Bratt. Uh, one to watch tonight for uh, the New Jersey Devils. Been a good conversation today on uh, how these teams have gone about building their Stanley Cup contenders. It's Stan Richo and Satyar Shah. We'll dive into more of the playoff matchups tonight on Canuck Central.